Welcome to Techno, where Sophos experts debate, explore, explain, and hopefully help you to understand the often baffling world of computer security. Techno is presented by me, Paul Ducklin. And me, Chester Wisniewski. And today's topic is SSL. So, Chester, let's start right at the beginning. What does SSL stand for? Where did it come from? And why do we need it? SSL stands for Secure Sockets Layer, and it started out in the mid-1990s at Netscape when they were kind of innovating in the browser market. The problem at the time was that everything that communicated to a web browser was sent in clear text over the internet, so it was very difficult to do anything like e-commerce or any kind of secure communication. So Netscape came up with this idea of SSL, and that they would be able to uh, use encryption in the browser to secure these things. And the reason we need it, of course, is that if we're transmitting things like passwords and credit cards and other sensitive information, you know, in my case, even my email, I consider to be a very private thing. I'd like to know that no prying eyes at my ISP or my neighbors are able to look at my traffic and see what I'm writing. Now, Chester, these days when you read about SSL, you often see it written as SSL slash TLS. Are those two terms interchangeable? TLS is a more modern version of SSL, and largely SSL has been discontinued at this point. TLS stands for Transport Layer Security. In addition to having a lot of cryptographic improvements uh, to defend against things that have come up in the interim that were, you know, ways of subverting the security, it also offers the ability to negotiate encryption on regular ports and protocols. So if you think about SSL, you always think about port 443. Well, with, with TLS, you're able to negotiate security on a lot of other protocols like IMAP and POP. So Chester, you talked about cryptography inside SSL and TLS. What sort of cryptography is used and why? SSL and TLS use public key cryptography. And the idea there is it's in a way of securely communicating a secret without having prearranged anything and having to have, uh, you know, mailed each other a passcode or a secret phrase or anything like that. It allows the browser to dynamically work with a web server to create a secure session. So the advantage for web commerce, for example, is it means that you don't have to have a pre-existing relationship with a shop or a store or something like that. Exactly. Uh, you know, if you think about uh, how you might secure something with a passcode on your computer, you have to create the password before it's secured. And then every time you want to access it again, you've got to know the secret phrase. And public key cryptography allows us to basically anonymously meet people we've never known before and kind of do a little dance and negotiate a secret key amongst us at the time. So we don't need to prearrange a secret key, but then how do we actually know that we're talking to the person we think we're communicating with? Well, that's a very important component. I mean, that's the authenticity component. I mean, the way public key encryption works is I can securely communicate with any computer over the internet, but I don't necessarily have any way to know that who I'm communicating with is actually who they say they are. And so to solve that problem in SSL, we have what's known as a certificate authority. So rather than just randomly accepting any kind of cryptographic certification from the other end, I'm able to verify that that cryptographic key that I'm being given belongs to the organization that it says it belongs to by checking with a third party. So you have a public and private key pair which you use to sign and secure the transaction, but you also have a digital signature on the key itself to verify that you're who you claim you are. Right. We rely on these certificate authorities to verify the identity of people who are running web servers on the internet 
and to give it their, you know, their digital blessing, their signature on that to say, yes, in fact, you are speaking with example.com. And the certificate authority is what is almost always abbreviated to CA. Exactly. Uh, and there's, there's many certificate authorities and they're often, uh, by default, they're built into your browser. I mean, you can choose to create your own or trust anyone you like. I mean, there's a very flexible system in the technology. But the core things that you trust in the world are all built into your Firefox or your Internet Explorer, or your Safari, whatever browser you're using. And there's approximately 650 of these authorities worldwide that are allowed to bless these certificates. Okay, Chester, so there's a list of 650 CAs built into your browser. Who gets to choose? Is there a CACA? Well, no. Unfortunately, the choice of who can sign these things or who has the authority to be kind of an Internet notary, if you will, is up to the browser manufacturers because they build these uh, trusted certificates into your web browser. So that's kind of decided by Microsoft, Apple, Mozilla, Google, the companies who manufacture our browser software. Now, they set a, a list of criteria that these certificate authorities must meet. So they must have certain kinds of security audits to be sure that they're safely handling keys and that they've you know got security procedures in place to protect this critical infrastructure where these these uh, signing keys are stored that are so, you know, so important to this process. Uh, unfortunately, you know, they vary slightly from company to company, and we kind of have to put our faith that Google and Microsoft and Mozilla are doing their due diligence. But there have been some spectacular failures in recent times, haven't there? The name DigiNotar springs to mind. Tell us what happened there. Yeah, DigiNotar is unfortunately in a club of several certificate authorities over the last few years that have had compromises. And the problem here is that anytime you have the magic key that can unlock and, and validate something, there are going to be a lot of people interested in getting a hold of that key. In the case of DigiNotar, it looks like someone broke into their systems and was able to gain access to one of these primary keys and use it to make certificates to allow people to pretend to be Gmail and other uh, critical pr private services out on the internet and allow attackers to impersonate them. So that's sort of like being able to sneak into the Federal Reserve and remove the plates which you use to print $100 bills. It is. I mean, that, that's one of the problems with trusting as many different certificate authorities as we have in our browsers is we're requiring all 650 of them to have top-grade security that doesn't allow anyone to steal their notary stamp and start going around and stamping certificates saying things are legitimate that aren't. So since things can go wrong if people don't look after their own private keys or the keys to their own castle and they're in a position of authority, how do you fix that? Is there a mechanism built in that allows the SSL or TLS ecosystem to self-heal, if you like? Yes, Paul, there are two primary methods with which, uh, you know, we can fix something if one of these certificates is compromised in some way. One is called a certificate revocation list, or CRL, and the other is the online certificate status protocol. Neither one of these are particularly well implemented, though. So the certificate revocation list is a list of known bad certificates that your browser can go retrieve uh, on, a, on a periodic basis and know which ones might uh, be invalid for having authority any longer. The other technology, OCSP, is a real-time technology. So when you go to a website and the website is secure, it can publish a URL that you can go check that URL to make sure that that certificate is still valid. The problem is both introduce a bit of delay, and because of that delay, they're often disabled by default because they slow down the secure web browsing experience. Oh dear, that's a habit that we need to get out of, isn't it? 
security is always going to be a little bit of a compromise with functionality. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it's it's unfortunate that most of the browsers do not uh, religiously or strictly check these things by default, but the options are there in your browser. So if you're security conscious and you care about these things, go into your advanced settings and you can see some tick boxes that say things like always check for a CRL or always check OCSP. Turn them on. Chester, it's interesting that you mentioned the idea of throwing out bad practices, because one thing that I've noticed that is much more frequent than I would like is legitimate websites that I go to that produce certificate warnings, like wrong name, certificate expired, and something like that. That shouldn't really be happening, should it? No, and unfortunately, it's been a long evolution of things that have led to these kinds of problems. Uh, the, the used to be certificates were extremely expensive to acquire, so a lot of websites got in the habit of, of not having them signed by trusted authorities because of the excessive cost of doing so. But most of these problems have been mitigated over time. Like We don't really have any good reason today for a legitimate website that wants to have honest conversation with you over a secure channel to be presenting a certificate that's not valid or incorrectly formed. So there are two parts to fixing that, aren't there? One is that web server operators need to make sure that their certificates don't expire and don't have the wrong names on them. And people are using the internet and come across sites, even if they're well-known sites that aren't doing the right thing, need to vote with their checkbook. They need to say, right, that your certificate's expired. Go and fix it. Then I might come back and buy something from you. Well, that's certainly my reaction. When I run into bad certificates on the internet, I don't click proceed and tick five boxes and ignore the red screen and the cop that shows up on the screen. I, I, I hit cancel. And if I'm really passionate enough about the site, I may send them an email and say, shame on you. I wasn't able to access your site today. Or... Here's a hat tip, somebody's impersonating you on the internet. I don't know the difference. Perhaps it actually is an attacker and maybe I just saved myself. Ah, so if you're an IT manager and you get a report like that, then don't just assume, oh, well, we must have let it expire. I'll get round to it on Monday. You're right. It could be evidence that somebody else has got in the way. Yeah, certainly. And, and if you get a warning like that, if someone's impersonating you, uh, it's important to take that seriously and right away. You mentioned DigiNotar's compromise. And because they had used Google as one of their targets. The red flags went up right away because Google took those reports very seriously and responded by making everything related to it very public so everybody was aware that perhaps somebody was able to impersonate them. Now, Chester, when it comes to buying certificates, there's a class of certificate called EV or Extended Validation, which is supposed to give you a greater sense of security. What's that all about? Well, the default method of verifying your identity when you buy a, a, a regular SSL certificate for your website is simply to email an address at your domain that's been designated as an administrator and verifying that, in fact, you're in control of that email address. The idea of an extended validation certificate is a lot of extra legwork by human beings goes into the process. So they look into, uh, are you an established business? Do you have documentation to prove the name of your business? Uh, do you have documentation to prove that, in fact, you do own this given domain name and have any kind of rights over it? And can we call you at a phone number that's published, that's associated with your organization so that we know who you really are? Okay, Chester, so there are some obvious things that website operators should do. There are some extra things that they can do that will give a little more assurance to their users. However, there are have recently been some technological problems with SSL. For example, the flame virus 
actually had a bogus certificate, didn't it? How could that come about? The flame virus uses a technique called a hash collision in order to impersonate Microsoft's update servers. Before it was released, Windows Update would accept certificates generated using MD5, which is known to have problems with collisions being possible, which means that two different things that are unrelated can actually generate the same digest out of this hashing algorithm. So they were able to create their own certificate that appeared to have the same exact signature as a legitimate Microsoft one and confuse your computer into allowing them to send updates down that were not, in fact, from Microsoft. Ouch. So the moral of the story is, if you're minting your own certificates, don't use MD5 hashes because somebody else might be able to make a certificate with the same signature as yours. Chester, another technological problem with using SSL and TLS properly that I've read about recently is poor randomness. In other words, poor choice of keys in the first place. Can you explain what's going on there? Sure. I mean, the RSA algorithm, which is used for most SSL transactions or TLS transactions today, relies on very large prime numbers that you need to randomly generate ones that no one else is using. The problem is that randomness is actually a really hard problem. Randomness seems like something that, oh, you know, I can just toss some dice, but it's hard to toss dice inside of your computer or your router. And so a lot of these uh, very basic devices, especially the commodity devices you might buy, are picking the same random numbers to generate their certificates, creating kind of a cryptographic collision that makes it very easy to compromise their security. So once again, if you are going to implement your own cryptographic code, you actually have to make sure that you do it properly. Yeah, I mean, development of cryptographic stuff not only requires, you know, choosing uh, an algorithm that has been vetted to be safe to use, but it also means using it properly. So just talking about using things properly is a good point at which to summarize. So let me try and summarize and you say if you agree with me. I see two sides to the whole doing SSL properly story. There's the side of the user or the browser, and there's the side of the web server operator or the person who's actually vouching for who they are. For browser users, I'd say that the most important thing is know and understand how you can set your security configuration in the browser to be as strict as you can tolerate, and don't stand for errors. Yeah, absolutely. And the, and the browsers make it difficult to bypass these warnings for a reason, and that's not just to annoy you. So, you know, honor the warning. We're trying to help. And the flip side of that is if you're operating a web server or if you have anything to do with digital signatures, keep up with the literature so you can make sure that you're using the latest and greatest software that's, that closes holes and avoid the situation where you put your users in the position that they need to bypass warnings that are there for a purpose. When it comes to SSL stroke TLS, be a leader, not a follower. Absolutely. And it, the cost of doing it right, uh, both computationally and in time, is very, very little. It doesn't take a lot of time to do this right, and you owe it to your customers and your users. Excellent. Chester, I think that is a punchy point on which to end. Let me just say to everybody, if you enjoyed this podcast, you can find plenty more at podcasts.sophos.com. You can find articles about all the stuff that we've been talking about at nakedsecurity.sophos.com. Thanks for listening, and until next time, stay secure. Thank you.
Thank you.